let's just say, for example, somebody likes to drink soup out of a shoe. Well, <laughs> that's bound to look weird to a lot of people. And some people may be so offended by it that they call it immoral. And if someone takes up the morality crusade about how bad it is to drink soup out of a shoe, then all of a sudden they're going to start proposing they make laws to ban the ability to drink soup out of a shoe. And away it goes. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Hey, 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 you're back again at the Lions of Liberty podcast. This is episode number 131. You can find the show notes for today's show at lionsofliberty.com slash 131. Guys, political season is underway. There's no better time to make sure you are fully decked out in Liberty gear, which you can have so applied to you by our good friends at libertymaniacs.com, your home for all sorts of political and satirical gear, t-shirts, mugs, bumper stickers, you name it, and you can receive 10% off your entire order as a listener of this program by using the referral code LIONSOFLIBERTY at checkout. And if you're anything like me, and you're just fed up with dealing with health insurance companies, fed up with being mandated to purchase health insurance, well, guess what? There is an alternative, and it is completely legal, and it is much more palatable both financially and to your liberty soul. That is, of course, the package put together by our great sponsors at Health Excellence Select. To find out more about this exciting alternative, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is a candidate for the Libertarian Party nomination for president in the 2016 election. He is also the author of the book, Take Every Man Down, a 12-step program to servitude of the American populace and destruction of the American dream. Boy, does that sound cryptic. Steve Kerbell, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Mark. It's great to be here. Well, Steve, it's great to have you on. I'm always interested in talking to people who are out there promoting the ideas of liberty, and that's exactly what you're doing with your push to represent the Libertarian Party in the 2016 election. We'll talk about that more in a second, but why don't we first start off just finding out more about where Steve Kerbell is coming from. So why don't you just tell us how and when you first became interested in the ideas of liberty. How did you come to identify as a libertarian? Well, it was a short road and a long road. I remember that uh, the very first election I voted in was 1980, and that's when it was uh, Reagan and it was Carter running for re-election. And there was a guy by the name of Ed Clark who was actually getting a lot of press those days. And, uh, you know, I was 18 years old. I was, I've always been a political junkie. So I was even getting interested in the Libertarian Party back then. As the years went by, I've watched uh, you know, a lot of changes and a lot of similarities between the old parties. And, and then uh, you know, in 1992, I was pretty excited that Ross Perot had dug in as deeply as he did as, as a not a member of, of uh, one of the old parties. And so, I mean, I've, I, I probably have been voting Libertarian consistently for over a decade. It ultimately came to me that this was the way – for our kids and their kids and beyond to actually have some liberty in their lives. And that's very important to me. And let's touch on your book real quick a second. What prompted you to write that book? Because uh, as I said, it's a little bit of a cryptic title, but I, I believe it's a little tongue-in-cheek. You're, uh, you're not actually promoting the servitude of the American populace and the destruction <laughs> of the American dream. No, I am not promoting the destruction of the American dream. It's interesting that the, the concept came to me, and I was so interested in it that I just basically kept writing until the book was done. And, and what it's really about is it's trying to identify the real culprit in the path that I'm seeing of our, our, uh, our liberties going away, the American dream being more and more difficult, if not impossible, to achieve. And I really wrote the book 
for the purpose of getting people to, to pay attention to what they're doing, what they're seeing, the trends that are happening, that you know, it, it's, it's not rocket science to figure out that we're giving away our liberties. And in doing that, we're also giving away our abilities to earn a living on our own terms. You mentioned the culprit. What do you think the main reason, if you had to identify one thing, that this is kind of happening in America? Well, it, that's a tough one because there's a lot of reasons. But if you try and boil it down, I mean, it's political. It's the fact that I believe that the Republican Party and the Democratic Party have done a tremendous job of public relations, making people believe that they're so different that they're scared about the other one getting in. And so what's happened is, is, is people don't recognize that they're, they're going down the same path of taking away liberty, of cheerleading for things that shouldn't be cheerleaded for, and basically trying to open up people's eyes that we can still be in control of this country. And I think that that's really the ultimate goal of the book is to, to give some evidence to people so that they can see where we've been, where we're going in rather obvious terms, but also trying to keep a little interest in the book. I mean, I talk about this fictional group called The Council, which is these evil group of people that want to take away your freedom. And I don't want to give away the ending of the book, but uh, you do find out in the end who the council is. Aha. Uh -huh. So we'll leave that one hanging for everybody out there to give you a little incentive to go check out Steve's book, which, of course, we will link to in the show notes for the show over at LionsOfLiberty.com. Now, Steve, you've, you've come to this sort of a moment in your life where you've come into the ideas of liberty. You see the things that are wrong in the world. What made you choose that political path? Because many people don't choose that path. Many people do as you've already done, which is just write books or give speeches. But they might say out of the political arena. So what prompted you to say, no, I need to actually get in there, get in the belly of the beast? Why did you decide to join the Libertarian? party and to basically to uh, to run for president as you're doing now you know it's a very common statement in the libertarian community to say that being a libertarian is like being the only sober person in the car but no one will let you drive <laughs> well you know I, I think the alcohol wore off because boy oh boy is this obvious to me and it seems that you know one of the things i've always done throughout my life and for for, for the good and for the bad is that I've always made a lot of noise, I've always gotten a lot of attention in everything I've done. And I thought, you know, the idea of actually getting into politics has never really been something I would truly have considered until I realized that, you know, the years are going by, I'm getting older, my kids have grown up, and I, I just see that I may not have that much time to make a real impact that's going to improve this country that I love so dearly. And so I thought that, you know... Maybe it's time to go ahead and put my, put my neck on the chopping block, get out there, and make the biggest difference that I can. And I do believe that I have the ability to do that. And so where a lot of people might have kind of tiptoed their way into different political situations where they start for lower offices and work their way up, first of all, I don't know how much time I have really to do that. You know? And secondly, now seems like the timing is right. You know, I really think that uh, you know, if we get up there between like a Bush and a Clinton dynasty – I think watch out, America, because I think we're going to be blasting into the mainstream party after this election. And I'm, I'm, I think that if I can be the one to help us do that, then I have done my part for our country. Steve, I think you'll probably agree to me that agree with me that one of the bigger challenges for a third party candidate, whether it's a libertarian or a green party or what have you, is really just overcoming that perception that you know. There might be some great guys running on these other tickets, but at the end of the day, they're not going to make an impact. They're not going to be in the debates, and you know, only the, the Democrat and Republican candidates are really going to matter. So how do you plan to fight that perception? 
How can we actually battle this idea that really seems to perpetuate everybody's minds in, in the political arena here in the United States that there is a real alternative to the mainstream, to the Democrats and the Republicans, the, the corporatist parties, as I would call them? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it takes a serious, aggressive and edgy and smart attack. And I think that uh, you know I will be reaching out to all the major networks over and over again, trying to get exposure, trying to get us on there. And I think that you know a lot of this comes down to the final debate. I mean, that seems to be the issue of this election year: is how are we going to get the parties that are represented by people who have the ability to actually win the electoral college for the presidency based on their ballot access included in the debates? Well, there are lawsuits. But I got a better way. <laughs> I think that uh, I, I really can't picture the lawsuits getting anywhere, anywhere before this election happens. And so I think you just got to be a thorn in their side. I think really that's what you got to do. You got to get out there and make as many public representations, basically goading the Republican and the Democratic nominees into a debate. Say, why are you afraid? What's your concern? I mean, are you afraid the Americans are actually going to see anything other than your own view, which is basically the same? You know, and I think that uh, that's the way you've got to be scrappy. You've got to make a lot of noise and you've got to take risk and you've got to make sure that, you know, you don't lose your credibility while doing it. But I think you've got to get out there and make a lot of noise. And I think that that's the way you go about it is getting to those debates, debates, making lots of public statements, getting a lot of press. And I think that uh, you know, you've got to be creative to do it because right now the deck is stacked against us as much of the mainstream media is also controlled by the old parties. So you know, I just think it, it, it takes a lot of risk-taking. I've taken a lot of risks in my life, and I think this is right, in, right up my alley. How do you plan to sort of uh, take those risks and get that attention? Are you going to do anything crazy like, uh, you know, do a skydive from space? Or, uh, I mean, how, how can you? Because, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. That's what you got to do. But it seems like the corporate media just wants to shut the door everywhere you go. So do you plan on, say, blasting social media, maybe showing up at some of these debates and, and you know, holding your own thing in the parking lot? I mean, that's the kind of kind of stuff I think of when I think of how can we just get in there and, and draw some attention to the fact that these guys are afraid. They're afraid to have real conversations. They're afraid to really address the issues, especially from the libertarian individual rights perspective. Well, you know, those are all great ideas, Mark. But on top of that... Get your space jumpsuit ready. I mean. Well, uh, we'll see about <laughs> that one. <laughs> but no, I mean, I've already begun, actually. Uh, I have already begun a campaign of contacting, you know, the, the major uh, news networks. You know, trying to say, you know, you take call attention to the Libertarian Party and trying to, to make them realize the fact that we are the fastest growing political party in the United States. And maybe they should jump on now rather than later so that perhaps, you know, when we're the, the major party in the United States, that we'll actually talk to them. You know, so I think you really have to be very creative and you just can't give up. I mean, if you've got to send an email, you got to send a letter, you got to make a phone call and you got to do it over and over and over again. And when you get the ability to have a, a more public exposure via whatever media that you're on, you continue to say these things. You continue to make these comments. You contact the news sources. You contact the newspapers. You contact the magazines. You get out there with social media. And you've got to make such a, such a stink, for lack of a better term, that they're going to have to pay attention to you. The thing is, it is a fine line because you can't get out there and look like a crackpot. You know, you've got to be serious. You've got to look serious. But you also can't be afraid to take those risks to get the party's exposure out there, to get your name out there, to get people talking about you. And if they think that here's this guy, you know, he's a libertarian, but you know, he actually thinks he can win. Maybe we should listen to what he has to say. You know, I think that those are the kinds of things you got to do. 
So, Steve, I'll just ask you straight up. Do you think that you can win in 2016? Do you think a libertarian candidate, if they make enough noise, if they can wiggle their way into the mainstream conversation, do you think you can actually get the votes, the electoral votes it would take to become president? I mean, it's, it's, it's an uphill battle and the stars would have to align. But, you know, there is an outside chance of this. The big thing is, is you just, you have to start creating the, the noise out there. You got the banter, the infra, the talking, the attention to the point where, you know, there is something different, but people have to get excited about it pretty fast. You know, I, I'm not saying it's, it's not going to be extremely difficult and bordering on the highly improbable. But as I say, if the stars align, it's a possibility. Sure, and a lot of things in history have been highly improbable, but uh, they still happen. So That's right. We can never discount it. But there are certainly benefits to running and promoting the ideas of liberty, even if you don't actually win, even if the odds are high. So can you just tell people out there maybe some of the reasons why it's important, if you believe in the ideas of liberty, to support a libertarian candidate, even if you might agree that it's very improbable or, or very difficult to win? Well, I think that one of the big things is we have to really explain to the public about what it is that we stand for. And, you know, I've heard uh, basically the simplest explanations are is uh, of our skeletal platform is, um, you know, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. I mean, and most people are going to agree with that. And then when you begin to expose them to some of the other things that we stand for regarding, you know, as far as personal liberty affecting taxation as far as personal liberty affecting the making of laws and the enforcement of laws, regulation. You know, I think that for me, I am about personal liberty. I believe that the founding fathers created this country based on their experience in England to make for a real free country. And I think that people have not looked at things globally as the years have gone by. And I think that it's very difficult for people to see anything other than how their own world affects them. And so I think that we have to be able to get people thinking and remembering how what the Founding Fathers did was relevant to their lives today. I think uh, people need to remember the fact that the Bill of Rights was there to protect us against our own government. There are people out today that believe that the Bill of Rights doesn't apply to them because it happened centuries before they were born because they haven't really taken the time to understand how important that is. So ultimately... What I stand for is personal liberty, and everything that we present is an offshoot of that desire to allow for personal liberty for the generations to come. Let's get a little more into uh, what you stand for, Steve. So just looking at your website, you state there, today so many Americans view the government as an us-versus-them relationship. So can you elaborate on that statement and uh, why that's a problem and what we can actually do to change that attitude? Well, of course, the country was founded for the purpose of being of the people, by the people, and for the people. And I think that uh, that needs to continue. I mean, the whole purpose of the United States was so that the people could have a say in how they lived their lives and, and to protect themselves against uh, government tyranny. And I think that today, w when you talk to people and they say, well, I just want this thing from the government. I don't think they remember or even are mindful of the fact that the government is their neighbor, it's the people across the street, it's their family, it's themselves. And I think that they look at the, the government as, as an entity different from anything that relates to anyone that they care about. And I think that's very, very dangerous because with that separation is a reduction in personal liberty such as experience in the Soviet Union, if you think about it. Look what happened with the spying via the NSA. You know, the privacy is a very important thing for us 
because it allows us to live our lives with autonomy and with personal choice. And I think that it's very, very important that people recognize that the government needs to be us uh, because if they don't, then we lose all of our, all of our freedom. Sure, and it's a pretty common attitude I see in libertarian circles or anarchist circles. It's it's sort of that Rothbardian, the government is not us, we are not the government. And in some sense it's true. I mean, if the government sends people to go bomb a village in Afghanistan, I'm not I don't think that I as an individual who's opposed to that action is is responsible for it in any way. I, I don't agree with it. They took the money for it, you know, against my will. But at the same time in in many ways like you're saying, we are all the government because at the end of the day, I mean, the government can only do so much. It can only really reflect the beliefs of the population, really. And so, I mean, when we have a war on drugs, the reason for that is that the vast majority of people still support a war on drugs. They want that. The vast majority of people still want a military all over the world do, you know, fighting all these wars. And until the people actually change their minds and realize, yes, we have to change our beliefs, we have to change our neighbors' beliefs to really change the government, I mean, a lot of people are still going to have that sort of us-versus-them mentality when they see the government doing all these things that they sort of disagree with. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think that uh, – but you know, I think what I'm seeing nowadays is less people are supporting the war on drugs. Absolutely. People are recognizing the fact that, first of all, it didn't do any good, and, and uh, I think that the people I like to talk to the most are the ones that relate it back to prohibition of alcohol because you know how well that worked. You know? <laughs> and, and so that's the thing is you know, when I think about it, whenever we prohibit anything, whenever we ban anything – with the exception of slavery, I can't think of anything that was banned that was actually stopped from occurring. Uh, you know, whether it was uh, you know a prostitution, whether it was drug abuse, whether it was um, you know anything that people disliked. It's kind of funny. I I, I will give you a little uh, excerpt from my book, um, and it's a similar situation. Is I was trying to explain this very idea by saying, well, let's just say, for example, somebody likes to drink soup out of a shoe. Well. <laughs> That's bound to look weird to a lot of people, and some people may be so offended by it that they call it immoral. And if someone takes up the morality crusade about how bad it is to drink soup out of a shoe, then all of a sudden they're going to start proposing they make laws to ban the ability to drink soup out of a shoe, and away it goes. And this is the same thing as any activity because, I mean, if you think about various things throughout history – Religious practices, uh, you know, people do things. I mean, if you shake hands with your right hand, you decide you want to do that with your left hand, and people think that that's wrong, so they want to make it illegal. People are real good at wanting to stop other people from doing things that don't affect. And I think that uh, this is the situation with the war on drugs. I think that you know, it's dumb. It didn't work. It's created a nation of criminals. Apparently, 22% of Americans now have criminal records, which is going to hamper wow. their abilities to get jobs. You know, and, and, and so you know, this is going to keep going, and if we don't stop making these crazy laws that are controlling what people do with themselves, their own bodies that don't affect anybody else, we're going to have 60% of America with criminal records, and, and we're going to be plundered because small business is dead because the government has stopped your ability to function at all on your own, and everyone has to work for big business or the government, and they've all got criminal records so they can't work for big business or government. It, it, this is a dangerous situation, and it's a spiral, and it's very obvious to me that we've got to do something about it. And it's the same thing when it comes to war on foreign lands, you know. We as people don't really want to go out and kill a bunch of people. You know, if you ask us, well, we want to go and you know kill a bunch of people across the street because we disagree with what they're doing. And we're afraid they're going to hurt us. You know, no one's going to agree to that. So why is it okay to go across the world and blow up lots and lots of people to commit mass murder 
at our expense without our choice, these are dangerous, dangerous situations. And I think that something has to be done about it. And the longer it's allowed to go on, the harder it's going to be for us to come back. Steve, also over at your website, you state very simply, the less interference, the better when it comes to government. So I'm curious, when do you believe it is ever appropriate for the government to interfere in the lives of others? Is there a role for some interference by the government in certain circumstances? Of course there is. I'm not an anarchist. You'd probably call me more of a minarchist, but, but I think that you know, government's a necessary evil. I mean, when it comes down to you know, who's going to fight the fires, you know, we do have to enforce the laws we make. We just got to stop making such crazy laws, such voluminous laws that create all these victimless crimes. But yeah, I mean, government is necessary. If you look at the Constitution, it's called for to provide for the common defense, to promote the general welfare. And I think that you know, it's, it's supposed to adjudicate disputes. It's supposed to protect property rights and individual liberties. There is a need for the government to be there, but there is never a need for the government to tell someone, an adult, that they can't do something that they want to do on their own that affects no one else. Uh, Steve, let's sort of uh, look into the future or, or one possible future here. Let's look <laughs> at the future where the improbable happens and Steve Kerbell finds himself in January of 2017 as the President of the United States. So what is Steve Kerbell's first act as the first libertarian president of the United States of America? Well, a small act first. I mean, it's, uh, I think you got to pardon Edward Snowden to begin with. All right. I think that, that that's not going to take a whole lot of time. But when you're actually talking about the functioning of the government, the functioning of our federal government, we need a balanced budget right off the bat. We've got to be getting committees started within government to replace income taxation with procurement taxation. We've got to be able to cut expenses quickly. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things I'd like to see change that are beneath the federal level, so all we can do is influence that as far as regulatory. We've got to really be tearing into the Fed. We've got to be getting into you know, a, a lot of these federal regulatory issues. Did you know that there are over a million federal regulations that can result in imprisonment? <laughs> and so, I mean, how is any regular person supposed to even follow a million regulations? That seems outrageous. It is outrageous. You can't. You can't. And, you know, it, 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 when I was uh, growing up, I was always told by my mom, you know, it was a very patriotic lady. And ignorance of law is no excuse. I mean, she was very, very, you know, you follow the laws. You know, if you don't follow the laws, you're going to get in trouble. And she was right. But here's the thing. Today, how can you possibly be mindful of the millions of laws and regulations that can affect how you do anything in this country, especially when many of them contradict? You know, we've got to stop this. This is insanity. You know, we've got to get rid of this crazy environment of, of prosecution, prosecution, prosecution. I mean, it, it, in one hand, as I say, you really can't blame the law enforcement people for doing what we pay them to do. Yes, when they're overzealous, then I got a problem with that. But I think that the problem really is at the root of the laws and regulations that we make. So, you know, if I, if I end up taking the Oval Office in January 2017, I got a lot of work to do, and it's going to have to start very quickly. The other thing, however, is if this happens, I have to be very careful not to screw it up because this is going to be our chance. And if I get in there and, and I'm occupying the Oval Office and I start messing everything up for everybody else because I'm acting too quickly, and, and then all of a sudden – you know, people are going to look at that as a mistake. So you, you've got to temper the changes with reason, and you've got to make them methodical. Sure, you don't want to go in and be a, the libertarian dictator, you know, just, just doing right. whatever you want, even if you think some, that might be the right thing. Well, exactly, because, you know, the thing is, I will obviously be very mindful of why I was elected to the position, 
and do my best to serve the people of the whole country, you know. But but the thing is, I, you don't want to make it so that you create such an economic upheaval that you you end up throwing half the country into unemployment and and inflation out of control and everything going completely nuts. So you know you've got to temper the exuberance with reason, and you've got to make a more methodical plan. But there are some things we can do right away. And I think that you know, moving towards personal liberty is important. Getting rid of this ridiculous deficit is crucial. Uh, you know, and I think that uh, it, the other part is I'd have to make a, reach out to a lot of countries with good diplomacy because ultimately I do want to get our troops back home. I do want to reduce the cost of our military. I do want to make it based on actually defending our country instead of trying to police the entire world. And so, my gosh, yeah, there's a lot to do should that happen. But luckily, you know, from the time that uh, the election is over in November, you know, I will be able to, you know, start getting good people in place to start making plans. It's not like I just jump into it with with no no preparation. So, but definitely a lot to do. But you got to be careful not to mess everything up too. Steve, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the process that you have to go through as a libertarian candidate. So it's not really the same as the, what the Democrats and Republicans do, which is mostly uh, bullshit us. Well, first of all, but uh, <laughs> they're good at that. <laughs> you're not elected through a primary, uh, you know, vote or anything like that. There's there's a it's an internal party process. Can you just, you just touch on that very briefly for people that might not be familiar how it works with the Libertarian Party? Yeah, what happens is there are a number of delegates that will show up at the convention. This convention is coming up next May in Orlando, Florida. And what happens is, you know, basically there's a series of debates and presentations, and then the votes begin. And if at any time one person receives 50% plus one of the delegate votes, the nomination is done as long as they accept it. And so uh, it can sometimes be a very quick process, it sometimes can be very protracted. The actual last debate between the first and second place candidates is shown on C-SPAN, so that's nice. But it's not an easy nomination to get. I mean, a lot of people don't really understand. They think you can kind of throw your hat wherever it goes and you're in, but no, no. I mean, the libertarian people have worked so hard to build a real viable party that they do everything as properly as they can. So basically, uh, you, you, have to, you have to win the, uh, the minds and hearts of the delegates first, make sure that you're putting forth a message that they think you're the right person to represent the views and goals of the Libertarian Party in the presidential election. So do you have any idea who you're going to be competing against for this nomination? I know we've heard – I think people assume Gary Johnson is going to run eventually. I don't think he's officially announced yet. I've heard even Jesse Ventura claim he's going to waltz into the convention and, and try to you know, get the Libertarian nomination perhaps. So, so can you just kind of run down who you see as, as the competition for this role? Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, you know, Gary Johnson uh, is very popular within the party, and you know, we are not sure if he's going to going to declare or not. Uh, as of now, he has not. And then, of course, that I'm in there. And then another one who I've been running into a lot is Mark Allen Feldman, who is a uh, an anesthesiologist from Ohio. Uh, and uh, there's been some other people who have who've declared who haven't been as aggressive. Or uh, at this point, you never know; they could be in the future. I always make it a point, though, with the exception of Jesse Ventura, who I will bash. <laughs> um, Ooh, you know, I, all I, right, let's do that for a second. Okay. <laughs> what, what, what's, your, <laughs> what's your issue with Jesse? Well, I mean, he's not a libertarian. I mean, it, it, I've gotten to know so many people around the country who have worked very hard as activists within the Libertarian Party. And so Jesse Ventura has publicly stated that, well, I'm not a libertarian. Uh, I, I'm an independent. I'm, I'm basically a Venturian. You know, and and uh, so – 
you know, he wants to come into the Libertarian Party, interestingly enough, one month after the convention, which I think is amusing, and just say <laughs> – How's that going to work? Hey, you know, uh, I, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to go ahead and uh, use all of your hard work and your ballot access to promote my own individual goals without even really helping you at all. Hey, is that okay? You know, so when I think about that presentation, all I can think to myself is if he actually does show up on time instead of waiting a month late, I, don't, I can't picture him really getting any votes because people are going to be so offended that he wants to basically you know, stomp on their thunder, not represent the work that they're doing and have dedicated much of their lives to doing for his own personal benefit. So no, I, I don't see him as a legitimate alternative. I mean, uh, certainly Gary Johnson, you know, he's very popular in the party, and Mark Feldman, you know, he's gaining popularity. I'm working very hard to uh, make a name for myself, and I've made a lot of friends in the party. But but the fact is, you know, uh, I think that uh, it really needs to be somebody who's really has the libertarian principles and goals in mind in order to represent the libertarians in the presidential election. How would you differentiate yourself from, say, a Gary Johnson? What would make Steve Carbell a better candidate, a better representative of the Libertarian Party than Gary Johnson? Well, you know, there's a lot of good things Gary Johnson's done over the years. You know, he was a governor for, for eight years of New Mexico. I mean, he was the nominee. You know, I would have liked to see some more votes in 2012. I would like to see a more organized campaign in 2012. But if you look about the issues, you know, there, there are several differences. I mean, while Gary is a libertarian, he was a Republican at one point with libertarian leanings. I was never that way. Uh, but the thing is, you know, talking about a perfect example, privatized prisons. I am not a fan of privatized prisons because uh, you know, my libertarianism, my view of what's best for the people of our country is that they can choose their own way. And the problem is as we've privatized the prisons, well, Governor Johnson says that you know, it, it is about a 53 or 56 cents on the dollar for private prisons versus government-controlled prisons. But at the same time, there's been a lot of – of uh, people who've been sent to prison for financial reasons, and and uh, and it's because of the fact that lobbyists from these private prison organizations have gone to try and create more laws that allow for more imprisonment. You know, I'm all about saving money, but at the same time, I'm not about putting a bunch of people in jail just for money. I mean, I think that ultimately we're about uh, we're about personal freedom, and I think that if we start making drinking soup out of a shoe a punishable offense. You know, in order to get more people in prison to support the private prisons, I'm absolutely against that. And I know that Governor Johnson does appreciate the private versus the public prisons. So I think that's one of the biggest and most obvious differences between what the way I believe and the way he believes. You really do like that soup shoe analogy, huh, Steve? I almost think that when you when you hang up with me, you're going to go have a little uh, soup shoe lunch. <laughs> you know, actually, that's not a bad I should, for the campaign. I should make up some some uh, uh, soup cups that look like shoes. There you go, and you can use that to illustrate your point. Like, look what I'm doing here. This looks ridiculous, but do you really want to send me to jail for it? <laughs> exactly. That's a very good idea. Mark. Yeah, you, you can use that one. That's on me. I appreciate it. All right, Steve. Well, before I let you go, why don't you just give everyone sort of the final pitch? Obviously, a large portion of my audience has libertarian leanings. I hope that random people that might not have that view stumble upon this show once in a while. So even even for the independents or the people that are just maybe politically confused, why should people look at Steve Kerbell 2016 for president? Because what I stand for is allowing you to live your lives the way you want to as long as you don't hurt anybody else. And I think that I have the uh, aggressiveness and I've got the creativeness to get the word out, to get us to become the major party that we should be. And I think that uh, I'm dedicated to all of us, and this is not something that benefits me. This is something that benefits my country, my children, and the next generations. And so my goal in doing this is to really benefit my country, and I think that uh, I'm the right guy to do it. 
And Steve, why don't you just run through real quick how anybody can find your campaign, help out, and how they can find your book and run through anything else you'd like to promote. Okay, well, my website is stevekerbel2016.com, and that's uh, steve, K-E-R-B-E-L, 2016.com. You can access most everything from there. I also have a Facebook presence that's also Steve Kerbel 2016 and uh, I also would encourage you, you know, when you get on the main website to look at a couple things. I mean, look at the, the uh, Road to Reform page because one of the things that I've tried to do that no libertarian that I'm aware of has done in the past on a national basis is to really explain the road, that the process it takes to get to the ultimate libertarian goals without upsetting the apple cart. That Road to Reform page should be something that appeals to libertarians and non-libertarians to see what is the benefit of doing what I believe needs to be done. Also, there is a link to my blog on the main page. I encourage everyone to read that and comment. And you know, certainly through the web page, you can get to basically everything that, that you'd need. And you know, we are gathering the organization of volunteers right now and certainly looking for more people to join us and help get the word out. And I think that uh, you know, we're certainly doing well, but we've got a long way to go. And I believe I heard you mention uh, somewhere else that if, uh, if someone donates a certain amount, they can get a free copy of your book. Is that correct? As a matter of fact, that is correct. Uh, for, for all of your listeners, the first 100 people to donate $100 or more will get a free autographed copy of my book. And on top of that, uh, you know, certainly, I mean, if you can't afford the $100, $5, anything is helpful. You know, it's, it's all about getting the word out. But absolutely, for the first 100 people from your show that will donate $100 or more will get an autographed copy of my book for free. Well, Steve Kerbel, I'm certainly glad you're out there promoting the ideas of liberty and doing it in the political arena. There are many libertarians who just think we should retract from political action, but I don't see how that is going to help anything. So I'm, I'm certainly supportive of what you're doing, and, and I wish you the best of luck. I appreciate it. And Mark, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show, and, uh, and best of luck to you as well. Sure thing, Steve. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation there with Mr. Steve Kerbell, a guy who to me sounds like a great candidate to represent the Libertarian Party, to represent libertarianism. Now, a lot of people might, well, not might, they do. <laughs> a lot of people do sort of reject political action in many ways. A lot of people out there as libertarians reject it outright. They just say, well, you know, you can't fight the state by joining the state or, or stuff like that. And to me, that's just silly. I mean, if you just ignore the bad laws, if you ignore the war on drugs, it's not going to go away. You need to actually change the laws to change the way this war and other terrible rights-infringing laws are harming people. It's really simple, actually. So to act like we shouldn't get involved politically and, and express our views politically is absurd. It's actually counterproductive to promote that. There are other kinds of people who say, no, I, I agree with political action, but you're not going to get anywhere in these third parties. The Libertarian Party's a mess. And you got to support the Republicans and Democrats. Now, I'm not saying you can't. If there's Democrats or Republicans that you find worthy of your support that you think are going to help promote individual rights, whether that's Rand Paul or someone else, by all means, support that person. But if we just accept that only Democrats and Republicans can make a difference just because the mainstream media tells us is that way, just because they're, they're funded by the government, essentially, they're subsidized by the government, these two corporatist parties, if we just accept that and go along with it, even if we disagree with what they're doing and saying, well, we're just part of that system. We're helping with that system. So if you actually believe in what a libertarian candidate says, if you believe in what you're hearing from Steve Kerbell more than what you're hearing from Rand Paul or more than what you're hearing from these mainstream candidates, maybe you're a Bernie Sanders fan. I don't know. Hey, I like Bernie Sanders, but <laughs> he's not getting my vote <laughs> at all. He says a lot of things I disagree with. He doesn't have a conception of individual rights. That's the way I judge people. 
Well, the way I judge politicians anyway. If I, if I only judge regular human beings by whether they had a conception of individual rights, I probably wouldn't have very many friends. But, you know, and, and if you're turning your friends away because they disagree with you politically, well, you're, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Now, look, there's a lot of friends that I've given up on and don't try to have political conversations with anymore because some people just are not open to hearing other beliefs. Some people just want to straw man you all day long. So, yeah, I might give up speaking politically with some people. But don't reject your friends. Judge your friends on how they treat you. Getting into a little sidetrack here, but that's what I do. That's what I do here in The Last Roar. That's what I'm going to call this segment. Let's see if it picks up. Because I don't have a script. I don't know what I'm going to say. I just reflect on the conversation I just had. And I think I had a great conversation with Steve Kerbell there. I like Jesse Ventura as a guy. I like that he got in there and shook up the political system, ran as an independent. But the idea that he's just going to waltz into the Libertarian Convention after outright saying he's not a Libertarian, after just basically just saying he's not going to go through the regular process or be involved in the party or anyway, well, that's just ridiculous. If he wants to run, he should run either with a party that represents his beliefs or run as an independent, which I would fully support. He's probably better than any of the mainstream candidates. But he's not a Libertarian, and if you're a Libertarian and you support individual rights, it might make sense to look more towards a guy like Steve Kerbell. Or a Gary Johnson, or any of these other guys that might get involved in the race supporting the ideas of liberty. Because really, if you think Rand Paul is the right guy at the end of the day, fine, go ahead and vote for him. There's a lot. Of, he's way better than, than most of the guys out there, especially in the Democrat and Republican Party. At the same time, Rand Paul has even said, much like Jesse Ventura, I'm not a libertarian. I don't want that label. I don't want that albatross around my neck. Well, Steve Kerbell doesn't see libertarianism or supporting individual rights as an albatross around his neck. He's going to go out there and support those views boldly and proudly. So it all depends on the way you see things. But let's not just give up and say, screw politics altogether. Because then you're just letting tyranny win. You're a part of the problem, if that's your attitude. I've harped on this before in many other rants. Feel free to go back and listen to them all at our podcast archive, lionsofliberty.com slash podcast, where you can find all our podcasts whenever I get around to updating it, that is. You can also join our conversation. Find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. Facebook over on facebook.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. I would like to invite you, if you've made it this far into the show, to come over and continue the conversation with us you can do that in the lions of liberty forum you can look that up on facebook we will of course also link to that in the show notes for the show which you can find at lionsofliberty.com slash 131 there's so many ways you can find this program if you are a fan of it of course however you're listening right now i don't know where you're listening right now you could be on itunes it could be on Stitcher radio you could be listening to us over on youtube you can also hear us on the radio at LibertyTalk.fm, Saturdays and Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern throughout the week on the Liberty Radio Network at LRN.fm. Of course, the show is published every single Monday and Thursday at LinesOfLiberty.com. The only excuse for not listening, folks, is if you just don't like it. But then what, are you, what are you still doing listening? Come on, guys. If you don't like it, turn me off. What am I going to say? Until next time, folks. Next week, i got a couple good interviews as well as hopefully the return of our little Rand Paul analysis show known as Rand Paul S's and Minuses with Brian McWilliams. Until then, folks, live long and live free.